Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Psalm 68 is just one place in the Old and New Testaments in which the people of God are reminded that we are at war. Now, our response in this battle, first and foremost, is to pray. And when we pray, to pray aright. The goal for our country, the goal for our countrymen, is not to retrieve the nostalgic things lost in the past. It's not to preserve for ourselves liberties that we want to enjoy our lives in so that we experience all of their comforts. Whatever peace we seek for and long for, because we're to pray for that as well, is simply to provide the groundwork and basis from which we can bring more people to the Savior. We can continue to wage this battle that God has given us for the souls of men so that we can carry on our warfare against the flesh and the world and the devil in the midst of this age that more might be won to Him. And so, this is our battle. This is the reality. Now, when you know this is the case, you should feel some stress. You should feel some burden. You should feel at times the attrition of the ongoing battles of life around you, and it's all right. In fact, this should influence, I think, the way we sing and the way we pray. Sing song melodies that celebrate only victory without calculating the real threats of the battle around us are unreal. They reflect an unwillingness to honestly engage the deep, dark spiritual struggles that are engulfing our age. Our songs, as they have in the past, should express sadness, weariness, longing, desperation, and struggle, and fatigue, and then promise, and rest, and trust, and faith, and yes, even then, triumph. <laughs> it's all promised to us in that setting. Here's a third point, and we won't go very far this morning. We'll save some of this for the next time I speak to you. It's against the reality of this war that our peace and our gentleness and the righteousness that God gives us should stand out in bold relief. It's against the reality of this war that we should be exuding as a witness to one another in the world the final statement. Now, oh, we should experience the idea of seriousness and of the burden of these realities and of the resolve in facing them, but it's against this backdrop that real peace, a real gentleness, and a vital, strong righteousness will make its note. If we would take this language of war to ourselves, we'd see that the peace and spirit of victory and triumph that is to resonate from our lives is not merely the echoes of wishful thinking. It's not a cheap pose, an empty claim in a world where there are no real threats and conflicts. No. It is a peace that passes understanding only because it stands out in a place in which although men might cry peace, peace, we live in a world in which there's no peace. That's why it's peace that's beyond all understanding. We're at war. Our peace and our comfort doesn't come from telling ourselves lies or convincing ourselves that all is going to be well 
and that there's no enemy on the porch. No. Our peace comes from a God of peace who promises us ultimate victory and triumph and says that He will never leave us or forsake us even on the battlefield of life. So go to verse 17. There. There's the reason for peace. There's the reason for comfort. Here's why the sheep might lay down in the sheepfold at rest, gentle as doves, gilded in gold. The chariots of God are twenty thousands, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as He was at Mount Sinai in the holy place. Our peace is in knowing that our shepherd hasn't changed and that He is a warrior shepherd. Our peace comes in knowing that His armies are greater than the armies of our foe. It's taking to heart John's word that he expressed to an oppressed little church in 1 John 4.4. Here he says to them, Here I would say to you, first, please, this won't make sense or won't bring you any comfort unless you accept that you're at war. And God brings that vision penetratingly and even painfully to your heart. But then, then maybe you can hear what John says here. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. This is a peace that comes to us when we're given spiritual eyes to see what are the forces of evil that come against us, towering from our flesh, from the world, from the devil. But then as they rise over us, we see rising above their head in the background the superior forces of God Almighty making His way to us, bringing us unending triumph and comfort. It's the story of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. You might take your Bibles there for a moment. It's the great story. God is giving Elisha visions of the dreams and plans that the king of Syria is making. And the king of Syria is plotting ways in which to come against the king of Israel to defeat him. And he's doing it in private. And God is giving Elisha the intelligence of what is going on in the minds and in the planning room of the king of Syria. And Elisha is sharing that to the king of Israel. He is a spy by God's own dreams and visions against the king of Syria. But the king of Syria has his own spies. And his spies are telling him that there is this prophet named Elisha that knows what is going on in your bedchamber. He knows what's happening and what you're thinking and what you're planning. And so the king of Syria changes his tactic. He takes his armies away from directed towards the king of Israel to the city where Elisha is residing in Dotham. In the middle of the night, his army and all of his chariots surround the city of Dotham. And the master or servant of Elijah, a young man, rises up early in the morning and sees the city of Dotham surrounded by these chariots. And he cries out, Master, what shall we do? Now listen, that's an appropriate emotion. That's a good response. That ought to be our response as well at times. God, what will I do? Against the perniciousness of this flesh and of this world and of the enemy who comes against us and is seeking to bring destruction into my home and my life and to my family and to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to my nation. Elisha responds in verse 16. So he answered, Do not fear, for those 
who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What follows next is an amazing account of divine deliverance that God gives, giving the whole army of the king of Syria into the hands of Elisha. But for us, what we should learn this, that whatever the outcome of our stories, the truth still remains the same. There is more for us than against us. You see? It's our comfort. We are to measure the true nature of the battle. We live on a battlefield. We are to have an appropriate understanding of the stresses and burden of war. But just there, we are to stand out as a witness to history. And our witness is this. We are at peace. We are like sheep who sleep under the watchful eye of God. We are gentle doves gilded in God's golden righteousness. We are victorious by His might alone even on the battlefield. Just let me say this in application. There are three ways in which the Christian can teach falsehood to the age in which they live. Three ways. One, if they suggest that there is not a true spiritual battle going on, they're teaching a falsehood. Second, if they give the impression that this battle is not one of great or greatest concern, they teach something false. But third, if they do acknowledge this battle and show concern in the midst of it, but do not and fail to exude peace and gentleness and confident trust, once again they lie to the age they live in. Our God is in control. Our God is sovereign. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, it may be possible that we've listened to the false prophets of the ages in the church that whisper peace, peace, when there is no peace. That we become, because we feel that we can't handle it in our own strength, in our own flesh, and because it would crush us, we pass over to give way to just positivisms. That everything's going to work out, and that these things are not real, and that what we're contending for are not issues of heaven and hell, everlasting peace and everlasting destruction. But somehow what at stake is something less than that, and if it's greater than that, well, how could we even think about it so we just pass our minds from those things? To worry instead about counting up our own coins and our own comfort. God, what a fleshly response to the darkness and the dangers of this age. What a lack of faith. Instead, oh God, let us look at it. and Let us measure it and let us see it. And even let us be overwhelmed by it. So that it towers over our own strength and our own ability in such a way that it crushes us to oblivion. And in that point in which we're pressed down to nothing, we might reach out, grab hold of your hand and your truth and your word and your promise and your spirit. That you would be all in all to us that you would rise up to be the great and mighty one in our lives that we trust, that we would learn when we're weak, then you're strong, and that we might at that moment 
and we totally give up on our ability to encounter these things and address them in our physical and emotional frailties, that we might take stock of your presence among us. In the midst of the battle, sleep in peace as the bombs fall away. Rest in you, knowing whether the destruction falls or not. The day of victory comes ahead for us. It's secure in Christ. You make all things serve your purposes and your ends. To us who have trusted in you and believed in you, we should see and measure, not deny, the terrible things all around us, all the things around us that are serious and profound. But then having measured them all, we should say, our God works all things, all those things together for our good. God, we want to trust in you. We want to live in you in this way. We want to live that life of faith that's shining and brilliant and bold and is an expression of courage that the world has never known, the likes which the world has ever known. May that be truly ours, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We cannot choose the language that God gives for the Christian life, and God gives us the language of war, even as he gives us a language of peace and comfort. It's not the peace of denial, but it is the peace of resignation and prayerful trust. Now, on our knees, it's time for the battle. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like a copy of this message, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until our next broadcast, may the Lord bless you.